if today is day one for you, my name's Dean. I'm the lead pastor uh, here, and uh, we're grateful that you've taken this opportunity uh, to come and do what we just sang, to adore Jesus uh, with us, especially during this time of year, to refocus, um, to kind of renew, return our hearts uh, towards Christ's coming. Uh, for us. Uh, if today is day one, I want to make a, a couple things available to you. If you would take out your smartphone uh, right now, um, open up your camera app, point it at the QR code on one of the chairs that's in front of you. Um, you can, um, you'll be taken to a site called lpguest.com and there you'll find message notes that are available to you as we go through the teaching. Uh, not that my notes are a big deal, but you can put your own notes as God speaks to you. You can, they're interactive, so you can type your own notes in there, email those to yourself. Um, when I say that I'm glad you're here, I really mean I'm glad you're, uh, I'm glad you're here because uh, last night I had this dream and I dreamed that uh, when I got here this morning and got up to teach, everyone had flu A. So very few people came, it was very empty. It was a very empty room. There were about 10 people here and they were all watching the World Cup final on their smartphones. <laughs> so every time Messi would make a goal, people would stand up and cheer. They weren't listening uh, at all. So you can take out your smartphone and use it, but don't don't watch the World Cup final. Don't watch DVR, that's what DVRs were, right? Um, if you would also take a second, there's a guest information card that's available uh, to you there. And um, you can open that up. It'll take you less than a minute uh, to fill that out. And uh, there are five different ministries listed on the bottom that we're already partnered with. You choose one, the one that's closest to you. And just for letting us know that you're here with us this morning, we'll make an extra $5 donation in your honor to the particular ministry that you choose just to give you the chance uh, to make a difference in somebody else's life and to help support uh, a local ministry. Uh, we are in a series, this is week number three of a series called Uncommon Crown, where we're looking at this tension that exists um, in our lives. We have this tendency to want to establish uh, our own little personal uh, monarchies. Uh, we have this tendency to want to go our own way. You heard Colby say it there while we were, uh, while we were worshiping this morning. There's this tendency for us to wander and go the direction uh, that we want to go. But Christmas is this great reminder to us that Jesus has come and he didn't just come as a baby, right? He came, he came as a king. And so our futile attempts to become our own kings, we all kind of know and feel where that, that's gonna end up, right? So the big idea for the series is that Jesus has come to establish his kingdom, but it's an invisible, it's a different kind of kingdom. He came to establish his kingdom in our hearts. And you see that during this time of year that you walk in to a room after Thanksgiving and you say the word Christmas. And everybody's like, yeah, Christmas. Everybody loves Christmas. And you walk into that same room and you say, Jesus. And everybody's like, ooh, that's awkward. Like, what just happened to the, what just happened to the mood, right, in the room? And because we think of those things differently. But Jesus didn't just come and say he was a king. He came and said that he was the king. And if he's the king, then you and I have to answer the question, is he my king? And if you say he's my king, then what are the implications for his reign in your life and his reign in my life? Because it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing completely to show it. It's one thing to verbalize it. It's another thing to value uh, the fact, the reality that Jesus is your king. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at 
uh, maybe a familiar part of the Christmas story today, but maybe not so much, uh, maybe not explored, maybe as much uh, as we ought to. Last week, you know, Matthew chapter one, Corey was here. Our teaching pastors rotated last week. I taught at uh, our Westerville campus last week. Corey was here. He talked about Matthew chapter one and the begats, right? The genealogy uh, of Jesus, the establishment that Jesus had the royal bloodline. And today we're gonna see the contrast in that to, uh, to Matthew chapter two. So if you got a copy of the scriptures, you can turn over to Matthew chapter two and we'll look at verse one. It says this. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there, was, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we are come to worship him. When Herod had heard these things, he was troubled uh, and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, so to get it, to explain those three verses, we gotta do just a little bit of historical work. It starts out by saying in the days when Herod was the king in Judea. So Herod, not a name, remember not a name, it's a title like uh, prince or duke. And that's why you see different Herods at different places throughout uh, the historical work and the gospels in the book of Acts. So Herod, this is Herod the Great, when he is king of Judea, these wise men come from the east. So I've kind of put a little timeline um, up here. And uh, as always, I apologize for my poor artwork, uh, but we're talking about kind of this time right here, right? So we'll put the star there talking about uh, Christmas. And so what happens is that about this time, which is right when you got about zero, right? That's right between BC, AD, this right around that time, you've got these wise men come from the east. Now the east was Assyria, that's what I'm gonna say. Uh, this air territory area is over here. So they're gonna come and, um, and they're gonna come to Jerusalem. They're gonna see Herod. And they come to him and they say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And you're probably saying, now, wait a minute, Dean. Why, you didn't say there were three wise men. And I hate to bust up your nativity set. <laughs> but the Bible never says there were three wise men. It says they are wise. Now they brought three gifts and we'll talk about the gifts in a minute. And so we've just kind of over time, tradition has become that there were three of them. I would say that there were probably more of them for centuries, by the way, Syriac Christians, uh, Christians who live over here have celebrated the 12 wise men. Just random Christmas facts for you. I just want you to appreciate the kind of information uh, that, you, that you get. So how many were there? We don't know, but there was a big enough group that it disturbed the city of Jerusalem. Because they, they, these, these men, this, whatever size group it was, however many of them there were, however many came with, they all come and they come to Herod and they ask Herod this question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Now, Herod um, was a brutal monarch, ruthless leader. Um, he, re he suffered from paranoia. He always thought people were trying to overthrow um, him as a ruler. He's the Roman king, right, of Palestine. Um, he murdered his wife, his son, uh, his mother-in-law, all because at various times he thought they were uh, part of a plot to overthrow him. There was one time when the local Judean government, a group called the Sanhedrin, about 70 of them made a decision that he disagreed with. So he murdered 35 of them. He was a brutal, brutal leader. He was um, um, almost schizophrenic, if you think about it. Uh, right before Herod died, the, the people never accepted him as their king. And that just bothered him. It's insecure. 
And so right before he died, he gathered up 200 very popular people throughout Israel, put them in a, a stadium and held them there to be murdered on the day that he died because he knew no one would be sad. He knew no one would mourn on the day that he died. And because he wanted people to mourn, he wanted to be written. There was great mourning. He was gonna have all these people be murdered a long time. So you, so you can imagine when the wise men show up and they say, hey, where is he who has been born king. Herod tried everything to get the Hebrews to accept him. He built them a temple, they didn't accept him. He built them theaters and stadiums and all, and they didn't accept him. And the reason that they didn't accept him is because what we talked about last week, he didn't have the royal bloodline that traced all the way back to Messiah. He was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau. Now, great at building, right? As a matter of fact, his people, the Edomites, eventually become the Nabataeans, and the Nabataeans are the group that built Petra. You know what Petra is? I'll show you a picture of it up here. You'll be reminded of it maybe from uh, uh, the last Indiana Jones uh, film. Um, great builders, but the people didn't care about that. They were looking for Messiah. They were looking for their king. And so because of that, because of it, Herod is gonna go on the warpath. What we think about as Christmas, originally, originally for Mary, for Joseph, for Jesus, for the baby, it, it wasn't all as calm, all as bright, right? It was, it was chaos and Herod is gonna go after him because if, if he's willing to kill his wife and his son and his mother-in-law, he is certainly willing. He is certainly willing to take out somebody who says they were born king of the Jews. And so I think for us, um, it's just good to be reminded that Christmas is both uh, the beginning of trouble and the end of trouble in some, different, in some different ways. It's both the beginning and the ending of trouble. Um, a lot of us suffer from this uh, myth that whenever you become a Christian, everything in your life becomes easy simple, smooth. Anybody in the room who's a believer who would say, yeah, that's my life. It's nothing, right? Because it's not how it works. Things don't just go, we're not just successful at everything we do. We don't just, everything doesn't just fall into place. And Christmas is a reminder to us that it's both the beginning and the ending of trouble. I wanna give you a quote from a, uh, a pastor from over a hundred years ago who lived in England. His name is J.C. Ryle. He was a pastor, he was a theologian. And he says this, there is a vast quantity of religion in the world, those who are married in Christian ceremonies, who die with Christian funerals, but, and uh, check this, there is no fight about their Christianity. The two great marks of a Christian is that they possess both an inner warfare and an inner peace. So what happens when you become a Christian, when you say yes to God increasingly over time, what occurs is that the things that used to bother you don't bother you as much anymore, but the things that never bothered you now start to bother you. And Ryle would look at us and he would say, where's the fight in your life? Where is it that you are fighting for the glory of God, for his kingship in your life to keep your heart from wandering? That's not just gonna happen. It on our parts, it's gonna take focus and repentance and relationship with God. So 
So where is it? Is it there? Do you have a fight in your life for the glory and the kingship of God and his reign instead of your reign? Uh, maybe you're here today. Maybe, um, maybe you're married. And you see in the context of marriage that there's this fight, right? Um, not just a fight, big deal, but every now and then you guys don't agree, right? And so let's say um, you're, into, you're into a scuffle, right? And you're fighting about this and all of a sudden what used to bother you was that you didn't get your way. That's what used to bother you. But now something different bothers you. What bothers you now is that you know that you need a right relationship with your spouse because God has given us marriage as a reflection of his love for us, his covenant relationship, right? Um, with the church that we see, right? That's what the scriptures say, Jesus died for it. Marriage is a reflection of God's covenant. And so you know that your relationship to be, needs to be right. So instead of fighting to get your way, you have to learn to fight differently. So the two of you are you're kind of upset, right? At each other. You know, the scriptures say, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And so the scripture points us towards you have to become relationally right with each other. So it's 1130, everybody's in bed, nobody's talking. What does that mean? It means that you and I understand that it is incumbent upon us. Listen, if your spouse is 99.99% .99 to blame for what's going on and you are 0.01% to blame, the scriptures say, if you have aught with someone, certainly that would include your spouse, right? You go to them. So you roll over, you look at your spouse. You say, listen, honey, sorry, I said things. You said things. I wanna apologize for my 0.01%. <laughs> Actually, don't use the numbers. Don't, probably will not be the most effective, right? But you turn over and you look at your spouse and you initiate that, you initiate, why? Because there's a war about us. See, the, what Ryle is saying to us is that there's an inner warfare and an inner peace. The inner peace comes from the reality of Christmas. That what we celebrate all the way back here is that Jesus came and in Jesus's coming, there was an intention to his coming. And the intention was that he would come, not only be a model for us and show us how to live, he's not just a good teacher, but he was our sacrificial Passover lamb. He's the one who went to the cross and died for our sins. And this was the plan all along, risen on the third day to overcome death, to show us that we also, as we are in him, will overcome death. That was the, that was the plan. And so we have this peace. The peace is that our eternity is set. The peace is that once we've established relationship with God, that we love him because he first loved us, that things are eternally settled. But that means that now, as long as we're here, there's gonna be a fight. Maybe you're a, a parent, a teacher, um, a coach, a mentor um, for young people. I wish that someone would have told me a long time ago that every kid struggles. Every kid's gonna struggle to varying degrees, varying seasons, varying amounts, and varying times. But every kid's gonna struggle. And struggling in measured amounts when you're a young person Actually, what well, it prepares you for struggles later on in life. And a lot of times, if we as parents, teachers, mentors, coaches, right, if we circumvent the struggle here, we're setting them up for failure down the road because they don't have the emotional tools that, that they need. So you understand, you see uh, your nephew, your niece, 
right? Your uh, grandkid, you look out there and you, you just don't get it. Why doesn't the coach see that they are a messy level striker? on the 5U team, right? In kindergarten, they are messy level stride. Like they are like, I can't believe the coach doesn't see it. So your problem used to be that the coach doesn't see your kid's gifts and your kid's not a starter. They're not gonna be the one to, to kick the big game winning goal. They're gonna miss out. And not everybody's gonna turn their attention towards them. But the thing that bothers you later on, the thing that you're more concerned about is how you wanna shepherd their hearts when they miss the big goal. It's, it's different, it, it changes. And you say, well, okay, well, how do I learn that? How do I learn that fight? I'll tell you one way that's super critical. Um, for those of us in the room who certainly are a little bit older is that you've gotta fight hypocrisy. We have got kids, uh, especially young people have a hypocrisy meter that is very sensitive and they can see it in us. And if we are not fighting that spiritual battle, right? You say, what's the spiritual battle? It's that Jesus is King and that we bring our lives under his authority. Because what you and I are gonna tend to want to do is we're gonna say, you know what? Yes, Jesus is King. And I wanna bring my life about that much under his authority. And you know, we sing a, we've been singing the song, no other king, right? No other king is like you, but what's the next line? No one beside you. Because you and I kind of be like, well, you know, God could use a little bit of help from me, right? I just, I just sidle up here next to him and maybe, no, it's the battle is that you and I say, God, you are the sole authority. Your truth is gonna reign um, in my life. Herod has this opportunity when the wise men come to him. Herod could have said what Mary said. Remember what Mary said to the angel? Be it to me according to your word. In other words, not my way, not my will, but whatever you say, what you've brought to me from God, that's the way I wanna go. But instead of Herod saying, man, God's will be done, he instead, he says, my will be done. Where's the fight in your life? Watch what happens here in verse four. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes, the people, he, he being Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him and, uh, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come um, and worship him. So if, if you're knowing the whole story of Christmas, you see the setup, you know, the intention um, of Herod's heart. He is going to, uh, he is planning a mass genocide of all Hebrew boys, two years old and younger. He sees it coming and he knows he has got to stamp this thing out. If he is gonna remain where he wants to be, if he, if he is going to be the king, he has to take out this king. So he says, look, tell me where the child, and that's kind of important there. The word for child is not the word for infant. It's not the same word used in the beginning of the Christmas story. Um, and so 
Again, I know I'm messing up your nativity scene uh, this morning, but there's a good chance that the wise men didn't necessarily show up on the birth night of Jesus. There is a good chance that the wise men come sometime between the first two years of Jesus's life. And this is, um, this is intentional on God's part. I'll explain that to you in a minute. But on, the, um, on the other side of that equation, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're probably, probably wondering like, well, Dean, I've heard this story. Um, I've heard about the star. How do they get to the star? Like, I don't walk outside at night and go, well, there's a bright star. I'm gonna start walking, right? I'm just gonna follow this. Like, how does that even, how does that even happen? What you see is that God has been at work all along in the story of Christmas. Um, all the way back here, right? Between 500 and 600 years before Jesus ever comes, this country, Assyria, they come to Israel and um, they um, in, inaugurate what we call the exile. And in the exile, they come, they conquer uh, Northern Israel, eventually Southern Israel is conquered. And then bunches of people, thousands, tens of thousands of people are taken to the East. 600 years before Jesus was ever there, right? The last prophet that spoke to them all the way back here before they left was a guy named Micah. Micah 5.2 is what we just read. Oh, Bethlehem of Judea, you are uh, not the least among um, right, all of the places of Judea, but out of you shall come a ruler that will, uh, that will, our shepherd that will rule my people, Israel. So all the way back, here you have people who are carrying the Old Testament scriptures, carrying Old Testament ideals. Over, over here into this part of the world. You've got um, uh, prophecies like Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, which says, uh, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So you've got these seeds that are being sown. Look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were alive and well over in this part of the world. You look at Daniel chapter eight and the prophecies that they've been sowing over there for years because when the exile's over, Everyone didn't return. A lot of people stayed here. They established synagogues. They taught over here. So the seeds of what God was doing in Christmas, they were around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Not to mention, history also teaches us that right about here, right? Right about 44 uh, BC, whenever Julius Caesar dies, right before that, he adopted his son Augustus. And there's this big happening in the sky. Now we look back, science looks back now, um, and we would call it a comet. It was actually a supernova uh, appeared in the sky here about 44 years before Jesus was born. And what came about was this, um, this common idea that when uh, new rulers were born, there was something in the sky, something in the stars that would um, let us know that a new leader was being born. So that was that was part of the prevalent cultural myth. And now we look back at science again, and there's a lot of scientific evidence for right around this date, there was gonna be a happening or there was a happening in the heavens. And you start to look back and you start to add these things up and you realize, no, it makes, it makes sense that all along that God had worked out in the Old Testament that he was gonna bring 
these wise men from the East. It's a reminder to you, it's a reminder to me that God always has a plan. He always has a plan. Look at, um, look at what it says down in verse 11. Here's how this lands. Wise men come and going into the house, they saw, Mary, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream to not return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he, he, Joseph arose, took the child and his mother by night and they departed, um, they departed down to Egypt. So all of a sudden, Joseph and Mary understand that Herod is gonna come after, he's gonna come after their child. He's gonna come after the Messiah. And so they think we've gotta get out of here. Well, where's the get out of here? Well, they're already south of Jerusalem. They don't wanna go north. And there's a large group of people who live down in Egypt, down in Alexandria, who are Jewish, who are Hebrew, who would probably receive them. So there's this flight, but what do you need to travel? I don't know if you've looked at airline prices recently. You need money to travel, right? Mary and Joseph don't have the money to just overnight turn around and go make a trip. What? But they do. They have gold and frankincense and myrrh. The beauty of God in the Christmas story, when you look at it in, in terms of the wise men, is that God was with them. God was with them before the chaos. God was with them during the chaos and God was with them after the chaos. God always has a plan. And the plan was for Jesus to go to the cross and to be raised from the tomb on the third day. And God was working the plan here and God was working the plan here and leading to the plan all the way to you and to me. And so right now, not an easy time of year for a lot of folks. There's a lot of happiness that comes with Christmas and there's also a lot of difficulty that comes with Christmas. And I just thought it was good for us to be reminded today that before your chaos ever started, before your struggle, before your worry, before your fear, that God has been at work before your chaos. He's got a plan for your future, but maybe most importantly, that God is with you today. Traditionalism says that the best days are behind us. The ideal is behind us. Progressivism says that the best days are out in front of us. The scriptures radically look like a radically different claim, right? That both of those things are true and both of those things are wrong. We do not put our hope in the good old days Right? We don't put our hope in some secular man-made utopia that we think is coming to us. Rather, our hope comes from Emmanuel, God with us. That in the, whatever you're facing, God is in the middle of it right there with you today. I've probably prayed with people who are going through a crisis more in the last 
six to eight weeks than I have the previous nine or 10 months combined. And part of me knows, I've been a pastor long enough to know that there's, that's a little bit normal for this time of year. But the reality is also such that our struggles are unique to each one of us. I had the blessing to go uh, yesterday and pray with the family. Um, Mom is Valerie, she's got a son, David, he's one year old. And um, after he was born, he started having seizures. And they're progressively have gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And so now the doctors say that the best thing for him is to have a surgery that he'll have in the beginning of January. I would encourage you to pray for David as God brings him to mind and heart, um, where they're gonna disconnect the left side of his brain. And they don't know all that that means. They don't know all of the results and everything that's gonna come and everything that's gonna happen. And so you've got this, this mom, Valerie, and she's, what is, What's the best thing? What do I do here? Do I, what's the most important thing for her is to know that God is with her. He is Emmanuel, that he is God with you. And for those of you that I don't know, some of you, I'm sure I do, but maybe I don't know exactly what is going on um, in you, in your life, in your family. Christmas is this reminder to us. He is God with us. He is God with you. Not God disappointed in you. Not God trying to get you to work harder. You don't have to take a ticket to see him and wait, be patient like at the BMV, right? You're not waiting to see him. You don't have to go through security to see him. You don't have to do all the right things and say all the right things. And once you do all of that, then you get to see him. You don't have to, you know, yell for him and get his attention to see you. He is God with us. So that song we've been singing no other king would kneel to wash our feet. Prepare a table for his enemies. Lay down his glory for the least of these. But that, that is our king. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this reminder that you are with us on our best days and on our worst days, that you are with us. That um, God on the days when there's just nothing to do but praise because things are going well. And then on the days, God, where there's just nothing to do but to sorrow because things are, are, so, are so difficult. God, we are grateful for you. Without you, we have no hope. We are grateful that you are the light that shined in the darkness. We are grateful that you were the one who would come to us. That even when God, we were your enemies, you died for us. Lord, I pray that we are a people, that there's a fight about our lives for your kingship and for your glory. 
it's in your name we pray.